So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you so much for an opportunity to fist into your word. We thank you that you hear us always and that we are found in you having access into who you truly are. We rejoice, Father Lord, because this day we can understand who you are, which will strengthen our relationship with you. We thank you, Father Lord, that you have given us this opportunity, Father Lord. And we want to give you all the praise and honor for everybody that listens to this uh, teachings or that joins this meet, these meetings. We thank you for their life. And we know that as they keep hearing the word, they, they keep increasing and growing in the knowledge of who they are in you. Therefore, giving them confidence to really live the God-given life. We give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we want to continue on the concept of sin and sin consciousness. And on Sunday, we had a wonderful discussion and we answered some of the questions that um, were asked during the week. We continued this Sunday with questions and answers. But today, we want to continue with what we, we did on Saturday. So a bit of a recap on what we did on Saturday. We started after looking at um, the effect of sin consciousness and concluding that the consciousness of sin is even more dangerous than the sin act itself. We looked at why our hearts condemn us and we realized that our hearts condemn us if we do not know we are of the truth, who is Christ Jesus. We do not know who we are, who Christ Jesus is and who we are in him. Then we went on to establish the fact that sinless perfection is not righteousness. And the doctrine of sanctification has been mistaught, which is one of the reasons why our hearts condemn us. Therefore, sinless perfection is not the same as sanctification or righteousness. So sinless perfection is not the cure for sin. Righteousness is the cure for sin. And we said the book of Romans is where we see a lot of justification, justified, sanctification, explained a lot. Then we went on to look at the origin of sin and we saw that it was a foreign invasion. So today we continue from there, the origin of sin that we saw. We read some scriptures in Romans 5, 12, all the way to 15. We've read 1 John 3, 19. We have read Romans 8, 1 to 4. John 5, 24 to 27. And so we continue. One of the things we said that is that until you are free from sin consciousness, your relationship with God will always have an issue. And we were talking about the role the law plays. We explained that when there is no law, sin is not imputed. We also spoke about the fact that the Ten Commandments itself is not evil. The Ten Commandments is not evil. It is not evil. And Jesus came in John chapter 5. Jesus said he came to fulfill it. He came to accomplish it in us. So we do not have to accomplish it. He accomplished it on our behalf. So today we continue um, with looking at the origin of sin. And we will go back to a scripture that when we started this call, we analyzed when we were treating the misconception about God's character. James chapter 1, 13 to 17. The book of James, chapter 1, 13 to 17. By now, it should even be on our fingertips. James, chapter 1, 13 to 17, which is a very popular scripture we've been tackling. That was where we were able to clear a lot of misconceptions about God. We took us to the creation story, and then we were even able to 
look at the Garden of Eden experience, knowing truly that God is not the one that tempts man. So we are going back there because you cannot talk about the concept of sin and sin consciousness without reading James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. So let's read James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. It says, I'm reading the King James Version, so if you're following, so that you understand. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. And when we were, you go back to our podcast from the beginning, we analyzed these words in context to what James was talking about. We looked at the Greek words and we found out the meaning. We did some exegesis on the scriptures. 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So that's in that scripture, we can ascertain and from past teachings that God doesn't tempt anyone. But let's even assume that we say God is omnipotent. Let's, let's assume God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. So let's assume that if God decides to tempt you, can you overcome God's temptation? Because when we overcome something, it means we have victory over that thing. It means that thing that we have overcome has been defeated. So truly, truly, if God is tempting man, or if God tempts man, can you overcome God's temptation? Because you think God wants to destroy you through disasters. Or maybe something happens to you. There's an earthquake. There's a tornado. There's a, a volcanic eruption. There's a name them. Or you get an accident and you say God is tempting you. Meanwhile, you were, you were rescued from that disaster. That means you, you, you escaped God's temptation. Which means you overcame God. Which means God is weak and therefore... You had what it take to overcome God, God's temptation. For example, when there are earthquakes and there was the tsunami and all those things, people were rescued, people survived. So you cannot say, God was trying to tempt me. However, I had the power and the wherewithal to be able to overcome God's temptation. That, is, that means you defeated God. So we should be careful when we are trying to say God tempts. And this is what James is saying in the verse 13, that let no man say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Someone asks, why are you talking about this? I'm talking about this because there is a cons- consciousness of sin that we think when we've done something bad, then God comes after us. So, for example, I'm sitting in a car. The car nearly had an accident. I'll be like, hey, God has spared me. He's giving me a second chance so I'll not sin again. God was trying to come at me. So God was planning evil against me. And then he later decided to save me so that I won't sin again. But then I go back to do that same sin. So we begin to blame our misfortunes and we begin to blame things that we fall short on, our inadequacies on God. On God. And so there is a mindset that if someone, and this thing is there, religion has caused this and it's very serious. There is a mindset that if someone dies before their time, if something happens to someone, sickness, whatever, is God punishing the person for a sin that either they have committed or someone closer to them had committed? And we see that in the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus came, blind Bartimaeus, screaming, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and the disciples were preventing him. Then Jesus went to him and the disciples asked, why has he been blind from birth? Is it because of the sin he committed or his mother committed? Jesus said, it's not because of any sin. It's so that the glory of God shall be seen. So it is not sin that he has committed that God is punishing him. Jesus turned the question that they were trying to paint negativity on God and on the person to something positive about glory. So there is no evil found in God. God does not tempt with evil. It's very important. So you think God wants to destroy you through disasters, accidents and stuff, but you rescued. You were rescued. You were able to escape. That means you are saying that you overcame God, which is not possible. The almighty supreme being, the one who exists, pre-existed before existence, the one who is existing himself, he knows what will happen before he happens. He sees even far beyond the eons of time. He made time. Why would he want to tempt you or bring evil upon you so that you will escape and say you have overcome God? No. Fire from God. Those are man-made ideologies. But James is letting us see in the verse 14 that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So every man's temptation is in himself. And we looked at the Greek word for lust, which meant desire. Every man has a desire. Every man has a desire. We all have desires. Listen, it is desire which is found in our will, living soul. That makes us even work hard or become ambitious. There is a desire in everybody for comfort, for good things. There is a desire in people, whether be it a prestige, a, a, a pride, whether be it sexual desires. There is a desire in man. That is what makes us feel alive. That is why we analyze the living soul in Genesis 2, 7. When God breathed into Adam and became a living soul, we looked at the origin of that word and saw that it was man's will. Every man has a desire. And your last is uncontrolled desire. Last, the origin, the Greek word, is uncontrolled desire. So desire is not evil. To have a desire is not evil. To have a desire for good things is not evil. No, it's not. When the desire becomes uncontrollable, uncontrolled the desire is becomes negative to someone that is when we term it as last so james is saying every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own last and enticed and when we tackle the garden of Eden, we saw that that was the sin of man man rejected god and desired his own past or let's say sorry desired his own path very important so from your desires are temptations generated from your desires are temptation generated uncontrolled desire a typical example i gave the other time was that sexual desires are not evil religion has made us think that sexual desires are evil no for a young guy or for a young lady to desire a guy sexually it's not evil it is when that desire becomes uncontrollable and then you begin to act the uncontrolled desire when it becomes a problem for example uncontrolled desire makes you sleep with multiple women then it becomes a problem for yourself but having a sexual desire is not evil because if you get married how are you going to procreate and enjoy with your spouse if you you are you don't have a sexual desire for that person maybe you you think that uh, uh, example is extreme but you desire comfort you desire a, a, a good life that is why you wake up in the morning and go to work that is why 
you are in school studying to become a better person. You desire a good life. So desire in itself is not good. But when that desire becomes uncontrollable, therefore you begin to exploit or extort people or do all sorts of things that harm others to make money. That is when it becomes uncontrolled desire last. And that is what is found. Temptation is found in that desire. Temptation is found in that desire. So let's say, for example, you have a desire to make money someday to, to be rich. You have a desire. I mean, who has a desire to be poor? Nobody wants to be poor. But then when you begin to desire that so much, every other opportunity, if not well assessed, will cause you to get into temptation. So, for example, wanting to get, be involved in money uh, 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 theft or money laundering or something, it's, it's an uncontrolled desire. You want the thing so bad that you will do anything, whether I harm someone or not, to do it. So our temptation is, the, is generated in our desire. The period where your lusts are conceived is the period where you begin to think. And I always say this, I realized it, that the difference between what you think and what you do is opportunity. So for example, you have always wanted a lady, you desire her, then the desire becomes uncontrollable and the lady wants a guy. When you get the opportunity and you cannot control that desire, then now you can do what you want to do. Or you have a desire to be rich and you need eyes some money. You're a banker. When you have the opportunity to transfer that money, you would do it. It's, it's, it's in your desire. So the thinking process is how long do you think about that thing to so much want it that it becomes your desire turns into uncontrolled desire last. Very important for us to understand this. That is why when you become born again, you don't, teaching must not be neglected because there is a renewing of the mind. That aspect is teachers. And that aspect is what has caused a lot of trouble today. Religion has made that aspect of teaching very manipulated. Let me explain further. That time when you have become born again and you must be taught who Christ is because he is the one you have received and you have to know who you are in him. That part is rather used to direct your mind or enslave your mind or control your mind. So you cannot question things. And if you don't question things, your mind ceases to function because you cannot reason. And so that is used to, they feed you, and we tackle this thing in one of our sermons. What you are fed with is what you become. They feed you with things that enslaves your mind and channels you in a certain way. That is why all the problems we are having today concerning religion and people speaking ill about Christianity and stuff is happening. Because we are having people that have not been taught teaching. We are to stick to Christ and teach Christ. That is why we teach Christ. So if you understand that you are in the kingdom of light, love, and life, you realize that you, you have a scope to your thinking. That is why Apostle Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. So you've received his life. You are supposed to think like him. You have the mind of Christ. So it's very important because what, what you think is, uh, your thinking is where your, your desires become, like goes overboard. So Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I think, 10, 1 to 5. When he speaks about stronghold, the original Greek word says a, a fixated defense wall over your mind. 
That is the battlefield. The battle is the mind. And that is why when you read Apostle Paul's teachings on warfare, and you really, really, really do exegesis, look at the Greek meaning. Warfare is not fighting Satan. Warfare is your mind, you, your mind. Allowing Christ to take over your mind, not you yourself fighting Satan. The battle is in the mind. So Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he spent time teaching, teaching, teaching. The battle is in the mind. So your thinking pattern is where temptation can be conceived because you have a desire. When it becomes uncontrolled, then it becomes a problem. So very important. This is what James is talking about. James is telling us, and we see it in the garden. We see it in the garden so much that Eve saw the fruit. She desired it and she wanted to partake of it. We see that in there so much. So it's very important for us to understand. So James explains by telling us that when your lust now has conceived, your uncontrolled desire has gotten to its heightened level, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So it's very important to note this. In the verse 16, it tells us, don't make a mistake. It is not God that causes that. It is not God. It is you. So from the beginning of the teachings, we saw the role man plays. You see, let's not try and leave things in a vacuum and think that man doesn't have any control over himself. That is the error. That is what religion is causing. That is what religion is causing. That is why, that, that is how come you see a young, abled person sleeping in church and praying 24-7 and expecting that he's going to be a billionaire. It's, it's, it's the fact that we think that God has to do certain things for us. And when I say this, it becomes controversial. Jesus said it is finished. In Genesis 1, God finished his work. So we live in the finished work of Christ. He has done so that when we know we can do. And he gave us our mind. We've tackled all these. So if you go back to the podcast, you get all these teachings in full. We are not inferring. It's scripture-based. So the most powerful weapon we have now is our mind because even when Adam rejected Christ, he still was able to keep and dress. That is why you don't need Christ to make money. Listen, very important. We have it in our podcast. You need to create value. Money follows value. It's a store of value. So if you don't create any value, you cannot make money. Money chases value. Money is the store of value. The money itself is not value. It's a paper. It stores value. It's very important. And we've tackled that, explaining your worth is Christ and all those things. So let's have that at the back of our mind. Now, let's quickly go to, uh, let's tackle these questions because this is a Mythbusters Bible study. Major questions that people ask. Does God allow sin? Does God inspire sin? Does God tolerate sin? These are questions that I feel anywhere I go, I preach about Christ. These are the questions that come up. Does God allow sin? Does God inspire sin? Does God tolerate sin? So James is saying that, that our desires. So if our desire, is it inspired by God? If it is our desire, does God tolerate it? If it is our desire, does God allow it? Because when we say all your sins are forgiven, this is where people find it hard to believe. Because when we say God forgives your sin, it makes it feel like God tolerates sin or God loves sin. Hence, the question that came up on Sunday, the first question that I said when we go on, we'll answer, that Fidelity asked. So it's a question that people 
always ask. Because religious people think that God tolerates sin. That's what religious people think. God tolerates your sins. So when you sin, God tolerates it. But we are going to go down and really explain those three questions. And as we go on, you will get clarification. One of the things we also hear is God is just. Yes, God is just. It's very important. But that just must be explained in the context of scriptures as and when it was used. God is a just God. I can tell you the most just person or the most just supreme being is God. He's very just. God doesn't cut corners, but he can cut corners. The moment God created time, God respected process. It's very important. And you see that in nature, in all of his creation. When he created time, he respected process. That is our God. He respected process. So, God provided a legal framework for his justice. God does not tolerate sin. God does not tolerate sin. And he provided a legal framework for his justice. God does not tolerate sin. When we preach Christ, we preach his saving grace. We preach who he truly is, his finished works. People label us as people who are giving, we are giving license to people to sin. And I always tell them, whether or not you are giving a license to sin, if you want to sin, you will sin. We are preaching law, sin, sin, but people are still sinning. So whether you are giving a license or not, you will sin. And then now they tag us to say that God tolerates sin. And so we are people who encourage sin. No, I will not go and see people who are suffering and are desperate and are spiritually empty and go and amplify sin. I will never do that. I will preach the good news and the good news is Jesus Christ, his saving grace. But when you preach that, because religion and church has put sin so much in us, it has engulfed us so much that we cannot drop that. The consciousness of that is so much is greater. We cannot drop that and embrace Christ. So I need to set this record straight. God does not tolerate sin. From James's account in James 1, 13 to 15, and from what we read from Romans chapter 5, 12, that Apostle Paul said, we will see that sin exists in man's desire. Sin exists in the desire of a man and operates by a man's will. Sin operates by a man's will. Hey, if you see that money lying there and it's not yours, you decide to go and steal it. If you make up your mind, you will not steal it. You will not steal it. If you have had a desire for wealth, riches, and the money is there, and that desire has become uncontrolled, that is when you will, by your will, say, I'm going to take that money. It's very, very, it's very important for us to understand. You, you, the human being, you decide to do it. And now to the concept of Satan has been overrated. Let me explain what I mean. Everything we do, we come back and blame it on Satan. Everything man does, we come back and blame it on Satan, which I think is an insult to ourselves and the finished work of Christ. We are saying that we don't have a mind to make choices. We are saying that we are so dull 
And we are saying that the grace of God is so weak that Satan can still push us to do things. Listen, Satan will not tempt you with what you don't like or what you desire. He will tempt you with what you desire. And Satan will tempt you, but you must decide to fall for that temptation. Very, very important. Satan will tempt you with what you desire. So, spirits cannot move on this earth without the permission of a man. So, every decision you make is in your will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes is a choice, will have eternal life. He didn't make us robots. So, if you know who Christ is and who you are in him, then you have uncontrolled desire and you decide to act on it. You cannot come back and say that either Christ or Satan pushed you to do it. The reason I'm saying that is because man has a role to play on this earth. Man has a role to play on this earth. When we tackle Satan, we will teach this in details. Temptation functions within man's desires. So sin functions within man's desires as well. A man's desire is the fertilization state of sin. Fertilization stage of sin in your desire. That's where sin is born. In the desire of a man. It's where sin is born. In the desire of a man. You can want properties or inheritance so much so that you don't mind your fellow man dying for it because it has consumed you so let me make this statement i'll explain when we are tackling satan demons and all those things as a born again believer you cannot be possessed but you can be oppressed let me make that statement again and you can tweet it or whatever as a born again believer you cannot be possessed but you can be oppressed if you have received Christ, he possesses you. Light and darkness cannot dwell in the same place. But you can be oppressed. Very important. And your capacity to overcome oppression is dependent on your knowledge. On your knowledge of who possesses you. Let me repeat it your ability to overcome the oppression is dependent on your knowledge of who possesses you very important i just had to drop this so let's look at romans 3 20 to 27 we cleared some misconception about that when we were looking at the character of god romans 3 20 to 27 now this scripture romans 3 23 is one of the most abused scripture in the church wrongly misthought like sorry wrongly thought can't say wrongly misthought okay wrongly thought so let's look at this scripture for uh, romans 3 20 so that i can explain further what i'm saying then we move on okay so the book of romans i'm reading the king james version if i'm reading any other version i'll state it i'm reading the king james version Romans 3, we start from 20. Listen very well. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin and we saw this in Romans 1:4 by the law is knowledge of the sin by the law is knowledge of the sin so i told you that there was sin before the law but without the law sin was not imputed because the law brings the knowledge of sin very important for us to note very important for us to note let's go on because i'll explain all together 21 but now the righteousness of god without the law is manifested by but now the righteousness of god without the law is manifested how is this possible john 5:26 uh, john 5:23 24 we saw it there christ fulfilled it that is how come the righteousness of god is without the law it says but now the righteousness of god without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets 22 even the righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ the righteousness of the of god which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference then the verse 23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god this scripture normally what we do is we just take this one out the context we take that that part out and then we add our mind everybody is a sinner everybody for all have sinned and everybody has fallen short that is not what the scripture is saying look at the verse 22 we started reading from verse 20 because of context listen even the righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference the reason there is no difference is because all have sinned and come short of the glory of god you don't end there because there is a semicolon there which is going to explain that statement so you don't end there being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in jesus christ and so all have sinned but those who have believed like the 22 says by faith of jesus christ have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus So verse 23 has tormented the church world so much that is not the focus it continues there is a semicolon there so it continues apostle paul was saying something he was building a case so we don't end that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god whereby we paint a legalistic picture to people to think that regardless of what they do they still will sin and live in sin that has become the problem that regardless of what they do they will still live in sin no that is not what paul is saying let's stick to scripture that is not what paul is saying legalization or legalism has made this a whole topic whereby we can preach a whole sermon on just genesis 323 meanwhile it's not a conclusive statement it ends with a semicolon it must be explained that verse 24 even ends with a column which means it continues 25 whom god has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of god that one also ends with a semicolon to declare i say at this time 26 
his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth on Jesus. God is just and he also justifies. So the one who is just is the one that justifies. The verse 22 should not be left whenever we are reading the verse 23. The verse 22 says, since there is no difference between Jew or Greek, nobody is, is, is special. So since there is no difference between Greek and Jew, all have sinned the same way that if all believes, they are justified. We shouldn't end there. Verse 22, since there is no difference, all have sinned. The same way since there is no difference, all can be made righteous. Then the verse 26 says, your justification is on illegal grounds. He had to be just so that he can qualify you, Christ Jesus. He had to be just so that he can qualify you. Hence the question of God could have, with the snap of his fingers, just brought everything back to order. No, things didn't go out of order in the first place. This is also a misconception you must correct. And when we're doing the creations that I told you, God's plan never changed. That is why God's plan is or was not Adam. So there is a perception that God's plan failed. So now we have to go back to the drawing board to re-strategize. If you go back to our podcast and read all this and listen to all the sermons that you understand, God's plan never changed. God is not reactive. He's proactive. So we have a thought that God's plan changed. So then he could have, by the snap of his fingers, brought everything back to normal. He could have forgotten all the processes and supernaturally brought everything back to normal. Then now we will have atheists or more people come and say, your God is not just, he cuts corners. But even that's not the case. His plan never changed. He's just. Therefore, he was just enough to be the justifier. And as we go on, you will see how this place was very interesting. Let's, 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 let's just pay attention and stick to it. Verse 27 explains the whole Romans 3. In fact, it even explains the 23 that has been misquoted in the church for all absent and falling short of the glory of God. Then we stop there. He said, where is boasting then? What basis are you bragging, born again believer or self-righteous Christian? What is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. And faith is Christ Jesus. So it is by Christ Jesus that we have all been made righteous. Not by our actions or by our doing. Therefore, look at the verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Because the law has been fulfilled. When we upload the sin and sin consciousness, we go back and listen to you, realize that the first two teachings, I emphasize this in Romans 1, 8, 1 to 4, especially Romans 8 verse 4. The law has been fulfilled in us. It is not being fulfilled by us. So he's saying that in the verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God 
who justifies. Because you see, the Jewish people, and that is why Apostle Paul's ministry was geared towards the Gentiles. Peter was given that ministry to take the gospel to non-Jews. But because of his Jewish custom and the fact that he was a Jew and grew up a Jew, it was hard for him to let go to minister to them. So when Apostle Paul encountered Christ and they brought him before the apostles, they, they were scared. They didn't believe he had really, really seen Christ because Paul was persecuting the church. So they were scared. So in order to get rid of him, Peter told him, Charlie, this is our territory. You can go to other places. And he committed taking the gospel. So even if you read very well, Paul rebuked Peter. And as we go on, I'll show you that scripture. He rebuked Peter. When Peter goes before the Jews, he acts like he's their friend. Then when he meets the Gentiles, he tries to preach grace. He was trying to pretend. But whenever he meets a mixed congregation, then he tries to be on the side of the Jews. So Paul rebuked him and told him, stop what you're doing. This gospel, the saving grace of Christ is for all. Is for all. So the verse 23, and I need to correct this misconception that we stand in the public and say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you, you must do all you can. You, you must, you, you must follow the law. Follow this, this, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We are sinners bound to die. We are sinners bound to die. We would die. And so we have to plead, plead the mercy, plead the mercy, kneel down, cut yourself, lie on the floor, weep, weep to God, cry to God so that you have mercy on you, cry to God. It's not understood that way. That is not what he's trying to say. He's saying because there is no difference between Jew and the Greek, and everyone has sinned, the same way that there is no difference, all can be made righteous. And how are they made righteous? By Jesus Christ. So Romans 5, the same Romans 5 where Apostle Paul explains the origin of sin in the verse 12. Romans 5.21 says that, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we will become the righteousness of God. Very, very important. And Romans 5 also says that just like by one man, sin came into the world and now he began to reproduce after his image, his sinful image, the same way by one man, Christ Jesus, we all are made righteous. Very important to understand this. And this is important in me explaining how God is a just God. We haven't even started explaining God being a just God. But I want you to understand this simple concept. Apostle Paul is saying, on what basis can we boast? It is not of works. Hence, there is no boasting. But justification is by Christ Jesus and believing in Christ Jesus. That is the same thing he said in Romans 1. He calls it the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. In another of his writing, he calls it the perfect law of liberty. It's a law that liberates and he uses that term, very important, when you are studying scripture. Apostle Paul uses that term and talks about law a lot and had insight in law, revelation in what the law of the, 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 the Old Testament and the saving grace of Christ, because he himself was a lawyer. Apostle Paul himself was a lawyer. That is why he was able to really explain justification, righteousness to us. He himself was a lawyer. Very, very important. So, in studying some of the books, you must understand the people who wrote it and their style of writing based on who they were, their culture and history. Very important. So, sin is 
God doesn't tolerate sin. And sin is something wrong and has never changed since Genesis. When we preach grace, we are not saying sin is right. Very important to understand this. God does not tolerate sin. He is just. And so he provided a legal framework for his justice. And I'm going to explain that legal framework for his justice. Because man made a cause caused the problem, man had to solve the problem. That is why he had to come in the form of a man to solve the problem. And so if man made a decision, and because of that, all men that came from him suffered the consequence of his decision, a man must come and pay the penalty for that decision and then correct the fault of the man who made that decision so that all other men coming out of that man will be free of the consequence of that decision. Let me say it again. A man, Adam, made a decision. Therefore, all that came. That's why I said not all sinned after the similitude of Adam. What Adam did, you didn't do. But then because of the decision that he made, he had to suffer the consequence. So then another man had to come and say that all the people that are from Adam are suffering because of Adam's decision. Hence, I will pay the price for what Adam did so that now Adam won't be the source. I will be the source. And everyone that comes out of me will be free from that consequence. Let's tackle a bit of justification here. The just that I said so that we can end at a place which is very good for us to continue on Saturday. Don't miss Saturday. Don't miss Saturday. In five minutes, I finish this so that we can talk about, we can ask questions. Now, the word justify, as used in the New Testament, is the Greek word D-I-K-A-I-O-O. Dikaio. D-I-K-A-I-O-O. That word, according to how it was used, now, the book of Romans is where you get a, an explanation on justification, sanctification, righteousness. Another book you see a bit of it is Galatians. Very important. Now, this dikaio means a judicial approach or a judicial approval. Sorry. A judicial approval of someone or something. A judicial approval of someone or something. It is a legal term. It is a legal term. It is not a cover-up. Listen very well. It is not a cover-up. It is not a pretense. It is not sugar-coated. It is by paying the price or penalty. It is not a cover-up. So it is not an abuse of power, judicial power, no. It is a legal process to free someone. Very important. Very, very important. This word justify. And that is where we will continue from. To take scriptures, particular scriptures that Apostle Paul spoke about these things. We take them in context. Some of them he explained using the Old Testament. We look at the Old Testament scenario. Then we come and look at what he said. Then we can understand it very well. 
the consciousness of sin can be very, very dangerous. It can cripple a man. The cure for sin consciousness is Christ consciousness. But in tackling it, every misconception and every question must be answered. Very important. So on this note, I'll pause so that we can take some questions because we don't want to go above eight today. We don't want to go beyond eight. So we take some questions. Um, Amma or Grace, either of you be prepared to write down the questions so that we tackle them on Sunday. So we are open for questions. We have we are tackling sin and sin consciousness. And today we saw James's scripture, James 1, 13 to 17, talking about how sin is conceived or how sin came about. And we explained that sin is found in the desire of a man and is carried out by man's will. Then we asked ourselves questions. So if the man has done that, does God tolerate it? And we said, no, God doesn't tolerate it. But God is a just God. And he has provided a, le- a legal framework for his justice. And we are breaking down that justice that we are talking about. Understanding some misconception that they say all have sinned. And where the justice of God plays role. And we are looking at what the law was and how it was fulfilled in us. Therefore, we have to look at the term justification. And that is where we are. So we are open for questions and answers. If you didn't understand everything I said to you, just say, hey, today I didn't get what you are saying. I'm confused. Okay, Ima. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hello. Good evening, guys. Uh-huh. So I want to clarify that God punishes sin. Yes. Okay. No, no. Let, let, let me clarify this. No, no, listen. Sin must be, sin has a penalty. Whether or not it is God that is punishing it. So let's not say God punishes sin. Sin has a penalty. Do you understand? Yeah. But who created the legal framework? God. God, okay. Don't miss the, the teachings on, on Saturday. Your answer, you get your answer. Please don't miss it. Okay. The wages of sin is death. We have a podcast on that where we tackled that abused scripture too. We looked at the Greek word for wage, the context in which Apostle Paul was saying it. So sin separated us from God. So the consequence of sin is the separation. So someone had to come and reconcile us. So the moment we sin again, then we are separated again. (laughs) Good question. Please write that down. It's a very good question. And, and, and I like that question. You face that question a lot. Because still, in our mind, it's sin. So we must ask that question. If we sin again. How many of you did the research? How many of you went to search? The scripture I mentioned, that says that if you are born of God, you cannot sin. The question that asks, if you <laughs> sin, what do you mean? I was but I didn't get it all. <laughs> you didn't get it. Okay, no problem. We tackle it as we go on. I think Patrick's mic is unmuted. I'd love to hear him. Uh, hello guys hi yeah so i think my my take on this is i, I don't know if we are trying to raise a white flag on sin or a red flag on sin okay but 
throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, I think it is very clear on sin. Uh But sometimes what we classify as sin, probably God doesn't even see it like that. Uh Because human beings can be funny. They they like to hold themselves to very high, well, uh, very high standards. Yes, they can, which they can't even achieve. David did a lot of things. But <laughs> God didn't even. He called David that he loved him. Yeah. Abraham had slept with her maid, his maid. But yeah. God, he was still a friend of God. Uh-huh. I think a lot of people's hands were soaked with blood, yet God loved them. Even yeah. our own Moses. Yeah. But it is also important to know that throughout the New Testament, it, it talks from Galatians, 1 Timothy 1.10, Colossians 3.5. It tells us that there are certain things that would like certain things we do, we would not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh-huh. It talks about swindlers, fraudsters. It talks about greedy people, uh, sexually immoral people, uh-huh. gays, and all these things. So uh, I don't know. We should try to put in that Christians and we can't harm our brothers just because we think God will forgive us or because we we think we are under grace or something. You uh-huh. can't kill your brother. It's wrong. Uh-huh. You can't swindle somebody. It is wrong. Even somebody who doesn't believe in God knows it's wrong. Uh-huh. So it's uh-huh. important that as Christians, we don't try to be legalistic, but we also try to live a very good life. Great, 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 great. Yes. I love, I, I love your submission. But then I, I the, your submission brought a question to mind. So is it really about God? Because you, you, you don't need anybody to tell you that it's bad to kill a brother. You yourself, you know that is wrong to kill a brother. So yes. is it, is it, is it, and I love one thing you said, love. You kept hammering God loves, God loves so then, does it really do anything to God if a man sins? If yes, what does it do to God? The truth is, your sin actually has an impact on God. Okay. And this is why I say that we are all creations of God. Okay. And if you harm any of his creatures, you actually harm him. Okay. It's just like somebody you go to a gallery and you try to burn a very fine piece of a pain of an, an artist yeah you obviously will acquire you 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 bring out his rage yeah god sees uh, each and every person whether he is with him or not as his creation uh-huh. so it is important that there are some things that you think is not affecting God, but emotionally it would because that's his creation. You can't harm them. It's, it's, uh-huh. it's not fair. Uh-huh. So, though it might not change who it is, it will affect him. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
that's nice thank, thank you so much for sharing that for sharing yeah. that um i won't ask any more questions maybe i'll ask them on saturday but anyone uh, please i want to hear you guys speak please any contribution to the teachings any questions anything you did you understand anything that stood out for you grace you should say something Um, okay. <laughs> um please when um the gentleman was speaking he made mention of um we thinking that some things are kind of sinful but they're really not sinful um okay. he gave how david sinned and abraham sinned, like they got involved in sexual immoral stuff and god still loved them so mm-hmm. I'll, so what kind of Thing do we refer to as sin that God does not see as sin? Hmm. I'm asking him that question. And awesome. it seems what he said is like, um, uh, I want to say this, that God doesn't hate the sinner. So whether you sin or not, he loves you. But it's just the sin that he doesn't like. Okay, so that's okay. But I have to answer my question about... To us, sin that God doesn't see as sin. I mean, we refer to sin that God doesn't see as sin. Yeah, so that's okay. That's my Thank you so much. It's great hearing from you. <laughs> so, Mr. Patrick, over to you. Then after yeah. that, I'm you talk. So, I wasn't, I, it's not that I'm trying to say that there are some things God sees as sin, some things He doesn't. The truth is, circumstances actually change our reaction. Okay. When I'm very hungry and I meet a farm across my journey and I take something out of it, probably if I'm satisfied, I wouldn't even look at that man's farm. But taking somebody's thing without permission and it's of a sin. Sometimes I said, I don't think God will kill you over these things. But the Bible actually makes us understand that God doesn't forget our labor of love. You, 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 you've done so many good things and probably you backslide on one or two things. I don't think <laughs> every, no, every reasonable person knows that if majority decides day uh, Solomon died at a place he probably shouldn't have died. David and his own servant, his chief army man, what he did to him, he shouldn't have done that. But David did so many good things. God looks at that good. He actually doesn't sometimes look at about too much. As long as we have faith in him and we respect who he is. We actually uh, understand the kingdom and the message. Follow it. When we go wrong on one or two places, I think it's very just to forgive us those things. Grace, are you satisfied with his answer? Mm-hmm. The last statement he made kind of clarified it. Because then you made mention of we... Um, he being um, well, just to forgive us, so there is there is this forgiveness thing that comes in. Okay, so that clarifies it. Because 
without um, that statement, then to be like um, balancing your good with your evil. So the more your good is, then God will overlook your evil. That's how it sounded at first, but the last statement made it cool. So um, I'm okay. Yeah, I was actually to put it the point where somebody who hasn't seen have uh, legal issues too much goes to court and the judge says, um, this one you are not going to jail because you've never done anything illegal before. Um, I'm just putting your house arrest. Um, are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's let's hear Makafui quickly. It's eight o'clock. I have some questions myself, but I'll ask them on um, Saturday. Makafui. Hey Charlie. Oh, eight o'clock. Pressure the matter. Oh, feel free. Feel free. <laughs> um, Makafui. Charlie Ade Adiku. Um. Oh, Charlie. I'm important. Make a talk. Um. <laughs> oh my God! We flow, flow, flow. Your your mic is muted. Something that <laughs> sorry, something that um came across to me was like when you talked about um certain things that um we do not allow us to inherit the kingdom of god and so um it got me thinking about um uh, our definition of what the, the kingdom is oh. usually like the kingdom um in our as we visualize it might be uh, as we know it a place a kingdom <laughs> far far away uh-huh. somewhere in the spiritual realm and the way i i see this um if if we should go by that um then i i feel like the statements um would be contradictory in the sense that if you did some things you are not likely to inherit the kingdom of god and then if you didn't do some things um then you are qualified to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think that when we look at all the things, the list that has been given, it's not even exhaustive. It doesn't yeah. speak every single wrong that there is in the world. I think the the lesson in between the lines is that the, we have some things that God would attribute to his character and we can attribute that under light and love. And then there are some things that we can characterize under things that are not his um, character, which we might describe as evil and darkness. And uh, his goal at the end of the day was, I created you in light and in the characteristics of my kingdom, which is also defined by the, the fruits of the spirits as is spoken about in the Bible. But the problem here is that um, the foreign invasion that came by man and by disobedience was not what I meant for you. And so my goal in coming to live among you is to tell you about or to preach to you about the gospel of light that lives within every single person um, and which is also love eternal, which is me. 
And so that's what the Bible says that God is love and he manifested that in all his his going and his coming doing good miracles and stuff like that. Um nonetheless it wasn't to say that the actions that he was um with, was doing are like the this is like the requirement or prerequisite for being in in the kingdom. It is just a mere display of the characteristics of the kingdom. Um, but the justification that was needed um, to actually um, rid um, the being entirely of the negative invasion was the reason for which he was crucified. And oh. my understanding there is that you realize that it makes mention of a new creation. Okay, and this new creation in Christ does not have the elements of the evil and the darkness within it. Um, and that comes by the acceptance and the, of, of the sacrifice that was made and um, a sort of formal submission to being um, in the kingdom of light by accepting to be that new creation. Um, I hope I'm not... Um, confusing um, people and I hope I am clear um, but like that's that is my 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 take on this uh, and it's, it's simply his gospel of simply um, telling people about um, there's a better way beyond uh, evil and darkness and that is what his desire is that we we submit to the kingdom of light rather than the kingdom of darkness wow wow that's I was about to ask some questions, and in your submissions, you have answered them. You know, the, what, what, what is the kingdom of God when we talk about it? And what qualifies you to be in there? As a born-again believer, as his child, are you already in there? So who does that scripture refer to? And MK has said it so well. I don't know. If you don't agree with what MK said, or if you have any questions, let's hear you quickly. 810 is the limit now. Okay, so I would like to get some one, two things from what he said. Okay. Uh, 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 from what he said about the kingdom. Patrick, your network. I is think we the lost kingdom you. literal. Can you please start again? Is it, is it? Okay, okay. I, was, I wanted to know if he is saying the kingdom is literal or it is imaginary or it is we are in it or it is some land far far away somewhere i wanted to know okay mk would you like to okay. comment on that briefly oh yeah um i think i simply asked the question to okay uh, yeah help us oh. think better about what we're discussing um, I wasn't saying that the, the kingdom was a, a literal like location. Um, and then I further explained and tried to break it down in um, sort of explaining that um, the kingdom could be described in the two, in those two um, opposites that I described. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, does it make sense to you guys? Maybe I understand, but uh, you guys don't. 
Okay. Awesome. Uh, does any other person have anything to say? Derek, Patrick, Ama, Grace. I get it, Dua. Have a very different view of the kingdom. Patrick, I think your your network, so we, we, we can't really hear you. Hello? Okay. So maybe, Patrick, okay. can you please repeat what you said? I, I, I told him that I get it. I think still your your network is giving us challenges. I so think if you can't I think he's, he's saying yeah, okay, he either understands. I think he's saying he either understands or he has a different I idea of what the kingdom is. Do I do have a different view? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I didn't get my answer, but he gets he gets my answer, but he has a different view of what the said kingdom I is about. Get this. Okay, I get it now. I get it now. Do I have? I get it now. All right. Uh, so Rodney, kindly tell him to join on Sunday so that he can share his opinion about the kingdom of God then we can discuss and then look into the scripture and then understand what the scripture says about that. Um, if there is no other person with any question, then it's almost 8.10, so we must pray and then um, end the call. Can Ohimpon please pray for us today? Okay. Hi, everybody. Hi. Let's pray. Father Lord, we bless you for your word today. We bless you for your word and your knowledge, your wisdom that we shared this evening. As we, we pray that as we continue to be sharing and studying your word, you'll be giving us an understanding, your clarity, each and every time that we study. We pray into the week that whatever that is, is our plan may be successful in whatever we are doing. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Amen. God bless you so much. All right, guys, on Saturday, 6 p.m., we continue so that we can have more time for questions. And as I said, on Sunday, we have questions, answers, and discussions. God bless you all for joining today's meeting and have a wonderful evening. All right.